Well, today, I, I want you to use your imaginations a little bit and imagine that you're climbing a mountain, all right? And you're climbing this mountain, and it's, it's pretty steep. And as you're going up this mountain, you're getting tired. And you look behind you, and it's pretty back there. But you've gotten to the point where it's almost more work to go back down than to go back up. And so you keep pressing on. And most of the time, it's so steep, you're just looking at a mountain. You're looking at your feet, making sure that you're not going to trip. And it's becoming pretty tiring and, you know, pretty burdensome. Not a lot of fun. And suddenly you get to the top and you're utterly exhausted. And your buddy, you know, your girlfriend nudges you and says, hey, let's take a look over the top of this mountain peak. And when you do, you see the most incredible view you've ever seen. A valley that just spreads out farther than you can see. You know, it's beyond where you're able to see it. And it's almost indescribable. Uh, and it's incredible. And you, you think, I, I want to be there. All of a sudden, you're rejuvenated, and you want to get down into that valley and spend the rest of your life, if you have to, exploring it. What I'm trying to paint for you is a picture of what we've done so far in our Chasing After the Wind series uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes. So far, we've been climbing the mountain. And those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks have seen that it's pretty steep and it can be pretty difficult and sometimes it seems pretty negative. Solomon, who is either literally or figuratively the author of the book, says that life is futile under the sun. From life's perspective, without God, if you look to the left and the right, life's pretty futile. It's just endless repetition. He says, well, let's try to make meaning out of it. And he throws up his hands and he says, I tried and it didn't work. And then he, he says to us, he says, but if you look at it from a heavenly perspective, from God's perspective, there is meaning. And this endless repetition can become a rhythm of seasons and times. And there's something really special about them each in different ways. And, he, and that leads him to just kind of spontaneously give a poem, which we read last week, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, which we saw um, Pete Seeger, uh, he plagiarized it and turned it into a song, turn, turn, turn. We had Mitch sing that for us last week. And so it's a famous section. But now, today what we're going to look at is considered the summit or the mountaintop of the book. And from here on out, he kind of lays it out for us, everything that the book's all about. And then we're kind of going down the hill after this down the mountain. And so we're going to look at this today, and we're going to see that last week was all about time. Remember? It was all about time and seasons. This week is going to be all about eternity. And when we look at life from an eternal perspective, um, we don't get it all at first, but the more we pursue it from that perspective, the more we embrace God, the more powerful and more meaningful life becomes. So let's read today Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 22. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. 
I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever, has, whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for man, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. Same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot for who can bring him to see what will happen after him. That's still a little bit of negativity here, right? I mean, but but there's, there's, some, there's a ray of hope that begins to grow more and more from this passage as we see it's all about eternity. And this first section, verses 9 through 14, um, is really that eternity draws us to God. And he begins and he says, you know, what does the worker gain from his toil? And, and he's kind of returning back. He's saying, okay, what, out of all this, what do we get out of all this? And then he, he says that God has laid a burden on us. And Wow, you know, God's laid a burden on us. What does that mean? Probably a better way to understand it is that God has put a burden on us to humble us. And the Hebrew word has more that sense, that it's not that he's just put a burden on us, but he's put a burden on us to humble us. And so it could actually be translated that God has humbled us. I was reading a sports section the other day. This was a couple weeks ago when I was preparing this. And the Minnesota Vikings had just defeated the Los Angeles Rams 24 to 7. It was supposed to be a close game, and they, they beat them. And what struck me, however, was they had a quote from the, the losing coach, um, Coach Sean McVay. And he said, they definitely humbled us. Now, why was that intriguing to me? Because usually a coach will say, the officiating was horrible. Um, I had several guys that were injured. They just got lucky, but he just owned up. And then he said, I think we'll learn from this experience so we'll be better next time. And they did. They won their, their game last week. Um, but that gets back to what God is doing. That's, the, that's totally the sense here. God has humbled us. We should say, I've been definitely humbled. You see, we've lost. Did you figure that out? We've lost. Since Adam and Eve, we've been trying to take control of this planet, and we've lost, and we will never completely win. We are going to lose. So we either get with it or not. Some people, when they hear that, they clench their fist and they get angry. I'm going to show God. I'm going to make it work. I, will, I control my own destiny. I always get a kick out of that during football season. You know, guys go, are you going to go to the Super Bowl? We control our own destiny. No, they don't. God already knows who's going to win. They can yell and scream all they want. They can play their hearts out. If they're going to win, lose, they're going to lose. God is in control. You only do the best you can. 
And then there's the other person who says, I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with this. It's not happening. Everything's fine. I'm happy. Don't, just don't talk about anything negative here. You know, and they're just living a lie. And what God wants is to get us to the point where we say, you know what? You win. I'm going to do it your way. Your way's best. You, you, I mean, obviously, there are good things going on, and that's what he moves to next. He says, look at how he's made everything beautiful in its time. Why wouldn't you want to follow a God that makes things beautiful? We're the ones that have messed things up, and yet in his redemptive love for us, despite the fact that we've turned our backs on him and tried to do it our own way, here he comes with all these beautiful seasons and rhythms and times. There's, there's something beautiful in all of it. And sometimes it kind of blows your mind. You look at birth, for example. Is birth beautiful? Well, in some ways it's not. I mean, it's bloody, it's messy, it's scary, you know. And the process, I mean, we prayed through little Lander Van Neuenhausen was born this weekend. That was exciting. And um, we have babies coming. Yeah, keep them coming. That helps the church grow. You know, that's good. <laughs> and this biological growth is good. But, um, you know, so that's, that's a, but, but yet it's beautiful, isn't it? It comes in a painful way, but it's a beautiful thing. Is death beautiful? I've been at a person's bedside more than once where death was a beautiful thing when they were released from the bonds of this planet and able to go to be with their heavenly father, it was a beautiful thing. And we see that beauty and we think, man, it, my way isn't working, but there's something, there's something there. And then he, Solomon explains what that something is. God has placed eternity in your hearts. You know, he didn't do that with animals. My dog works instinctively. And our cat works instinctively. They just, they do whatever they can to get food. That's the main thing that matters. Sleep and food, you know, those are really biggies for them. Um, but we don't live that way. Why are we so concerned about the future? Why is it that every civilization practically the world has known has had these thoughts about this other world out there? The possibility of eternity. Because God has put it in your hearts. But even though he's put it in your hearts, he's limited us because we can't understand it. He says it's phantomless, which means even if you were to study it, it's incomprehensible. You can't quite grasp it. And I really like what Derek um, Carr, or Derek Carr, I like Derek Carr. Uh, we've talked a lot about football, but Derek Kidner was a, a, as a scholar. And he said that it, it's really interesting because we, we long for it, but we can't quite grasp it. He says this. He says, we cannot figure out or comprehend it by study, the whole scope of what God has done. He notes that uh, these things that God has done are incomprehensible for both the secularist and believer, yet man without faith is doing life in a void. Without faith, without a relationship with God, he says he's just filling time, and the chill of that thought will seep into him sooner or later. Then he goes on to say, these seasons can be seen as changelessness, but he describes them as a dynamic divine purpose with a beginning and an end. He goes on to say that it is a kaleidoscopic moment with a period of blossoming and ripening. We catch glimpses of God's glory and the glory that awaits us in paradise, but it only inter intermittently shines through the darkness of the world. And this, I love this illustration he ends with. He says, Kidner compares us to a desperately, maybe because of my own situation, Kidner compares us to a desperately nearsighted person inching his way along a great tapestry or fresco in an attempt to take it all in. Grasp that. 
like you're on your hands and knees trying to see this thing. That's what it's like to see eternity. It's just so big and so vast that you'll never be able to grasp it, especially here on planet Earth. But you just can't help wanting to. Something draws you to it even if you don't know God, even if you don't believe in Him. There are glimpses of glory that come across our paths. And we say, man, there's something out there that is so awesome. And that's what God does for us. And he puts it there. And then he says, as a result of that, he says, I know there's nothing better for us to do than to be happy and, and basically enjoy our lives. Uh, God's in control, and he's working it all out. So eat and drink. Be satisfied with the work that you do. Enjoy it. Because God's got it in control, and it's bigger than you're ever going to understand. It's beyond you. So quit trying to figure it all out and just enjoy those moments and enjoy each season of life that God gives you. Just don't sweat it so much. And he ends with a verse that may summarize the whole book. He says, I know everything God does will endure forever. Um, and, and when he says forever, it's the same word he used for eternity, and it basically means that there's a future, the sense of a future time. It's going to go on forever. So understand what Solomon's saying here. Solomon believes that we will be with God, those of us that know God will be with him for eternity. He's, he's already, that's what he's saying. Now, he doesn't go into the specifics of heaven that are laid out for us more, more so in the New Testament, but it's very clear that he believes that we have an eternal opportunity to live eternally with God that, and that you can't control what God's doing. He's in control of it. So what are we supposed to do with all this knowledge? Here it is. Revere him. Do you know why God gives us these glimpses of glory? Do you know why he's allowed us, not animals, to understand that there's an eternity awaiting us? Do you know why? To draw us to himself. Because he wants to help us, and the greatest way to help us is for us to cling to him. That's what this is about. That's where this is all leading. It goes back to God. We've gone away from God. He's saying, come on back. And when you come into a relationship with him, all those pieces that we're missing uh, come together again. Um, you know, when we, when we hear these things about God and we see how big and powerful and awesome he is, we should just stand back awestruck. And when we find out how compassionate and loving and kind he is, we should praise him. And when he reaches out his hand to us, take hold and go into the promised land. So he's saying what we so often say. Can you see this, that we're sinners? Well, what's sinner? A sinner is somebody who's just simply selfish, trying to live life on their own, in their own way, apart from God. That's how we all start off. And we need to get to the point where we see that we can't get there on our own. And we need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. If we come into relationship with Him, and we surrender our life to Him, then we'll live with Him forever for eternity with God in this magical world that he's created for us. Have you given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, I encourage you to come and talk to us today. That's the greatest thing you can do. But it goes on, and, and you know, looking with eternal eyes, I, I just was thinking of that whole picture of looking with eternal eyes. I also have a scratch in my glasses. 
So if I look at you funny, that's not just because I, you know, just because I'm trying to see you. You know, I twisted my head because I can't see out of this eye that much because there's this scratch. What that means is I got to get my glasses changed, and I got to do it because I can't see without them. My eyesight is getting worse physically; it's failing. But I believe my spiritual eyesight is eternally getting better. That's what I hope. That's what I'm looking for. How about your eternal eyesight? Is your eternal eyesight getting better? What are the things that God has given us for eternity, and how does it change the way we look at things? For example, food, drink, is an eternal thing. He says, enjoy it. From an eternal perspective, have you ever had anything and said, man, when I had my, my wife made some chocolate chip cookies the other day, it's just like, oh, this is glorious. <laughs> you know, this is the taste of heaven. Um, and because that's what food is. You know, food does give us that sense. For per, imagine how you can perfect your recipes over eternity. I mean, it's going to be good. When you eat, you should be thankful. You should, you know, we are so frivolous, you know, just kind of let it pass. When you take a bite out of something, you take a drink out of something, you say, man, Lord, thank you for this. This is good. Um, how about nature? What will the... Yeah, I mean, we live in a beautiful place, especially this time of year and this spring and fall. I mean, who ever wants to walk away from Oakdale? I mean, whoever wants to drive out of town almost? It just, you don't want to miss it. It's so pretty. But imagine, imagine if for eternity, none of these trees died, you know, and all these things just kept going. And it just, can you imagine the colors and the beauty that God has in store for us for eternity? Other things that are eternal, are people eternal? They're going one place or the other. And that's why we want to bring them with us so that they can be with us forever in heaven. You know who else is eternal? God and his word. So we need to get to know him better and better. We need to prepare for that time. You ever go someplace where you're going to visit somebody, maybe you didn't meet them before and you're interacting online or in phones trying to prepare? You need to get to know God well. You're going to be spending eternity with him and think of all the wonderful things that he's done for us. And so there's, there's this sense that we, we look at God and we look at him with eternal eyes. And that's what he wants us to do. Now, the second thing that he goes on to say, though, is he says, coming out of this, there's he, eternity. One of the things that eternity promises, which is, is, is very important to us, and most of us would go here logically, I think, next, is that eternity promises justice. Okay, it promises justice. Solomon does a whole sweep of history, and he comes to this conclusion that God will call the past into account. God is going to make sure that justice reigns. That's good, isn't it? The bad guys are going to lose just like they mostly do in, in the movies and stuff. Who likes a bad ending? I mean, some people do. I like to see the good guys win, you know? And that's what's going to happen. But it doesn't seem like it, does it, always? If you've been in a home where you've been abused, if you've had a boss that, I had a friend recently who was bullying in the workplace, forced him out of his job. There's no recourse. And that happens all the time. One thing we're thankful for is there's no corruption in government. <laughs> so, you know, you see where I'm going here. And so you say, well, this isn't just, and that's just what Solomon says. He says, yeah, you know, does it ever seem like you go to the courthouse where there's supposed to be a justice and you look up and the judge, you know he's a crook? Do you ever see that happen? He says, sometimes I go to places where there's supposed to be judgment. Sometimes I go to places where there's supposed to be justice, and the people that are leading it are, are wicked. 
How do you, how do you deal with that? And this is his conclusion. His conclusion is, is from an eternal perspective, there will come a time when they get theirs. There's going to be a time. And how do we know that's true? Because it usually happens before they die. And it so consistently happens before they die that we can pretty much figure out that it's going to happen when they die. You go back through history. I mean, you, you look at Cain killed his brother Abel. He is branded a criminal and banished from God's kingdom. Pharaoh is a wicked, wicked ruler of Egypt, loses his firstborn son. Plagues devastate his country. King Saul once followed God, turns rebelliously against him, dies in a brutal battle against the Philistines, sees his sons die around him, tries to take his own life and fails, and another enemy finally takes his life for him. Sennacherib, one of the most wicked, powerful kings ever with Assyria, they would take hooks, you know, uh, they'd take hooks and put them in people's noses and pull them along the road. That's the kind of people they were. He tried to conquer Jerusalem and his people all got, killed, got sick. 185,000 of them died. He went back home to mourn it and went to visit his God in his temple and his own sons assassinated him. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man the world had ever known, completely lost his mind. It catches up to you. These were, a lot of these people, they were just evil people and it caught up with them. In the New Testament, look at, we, we believe that uh, Pontius Pilate took his life Herod Antipas died in poverty and in exile. It all caught up with these guys. Herod um, Agrippa I blasphemed God and died of worms. And then we look at the modern world, and we, you know, quickly we can think of people like Saddam Hussein, uh, Osama bin Laden. How about George Man, uh, uh, you know, George um, Manson? Why did I say Charles Manson? I was thinking of his brother. I, I always get those two mixed up. Um, <laughs> Charles Manson. No, there isn't a George Manson, but anyway, I'm just covering for myself. Um, but I, I, the one thing that comes to my mind, though, again, is I think, but how about the guys that got away with it? But ultimately, they don't get away with it because for eternity, they're going to have to face the living God. And God is not going to let them get away with it. So there's two sides of this coin. And that's what I want to talk about now. The two sides of this coin are these, is, is how does God's judgment affect you? And the first one is it brings, for me, it brings me comfort. Does it bring you comfort? To know that God's going to make the, you know, he's going to right the wrongs in life. He's going to deal with the people that have done the wrong things. That should comfort us. He's going to straighten it all out in the end. And it, and it should give us, and this is where it keeps giving back to, it gives us a sense of contentment and relief. You don't have to worry about it all. It's not your job. Because we live in a, in a democracy, sometimes more so than most countries, we tend to feel like we have control over what's going to happen in our country. You don't have very much control. The country is too big. There are too many people that are making decisions. They are not hearing your voice. You should vote and you should pray, but get over it. You're not going to control our country. You just can't. But God is in control, and it will work out for good in the end. And so enjoy it. Do what you're supposed to do. Pray, 
get involved in different organizations that are positive, you know, things like uh, without permission, you're fighting human trafficking, um, crisis pregnancy center fighting against abortion, just, you know, caring for people, you know, helping people. We have some, you know, I have to look over at Abe back there, you know, wrestling coaches and stuff, and people are just taking care of kids and spending time with them and, you know, do those good things. And especially tell people about Jesus that they might know him. But, you know, be comforted. God's going to take care of the stuff we can't control. The bad things that are out of our control, don't worry, he's got it. You ever have somebody throw something to you and you drop it, and then the next person catches it? That's what's happening. We've dropped it, but don't worry, he's got it. He won't drop it. But then there's the other side of this that isn't comforting, and that is it comes as a warning. Because if he is going to hold everybody in account for what they've done in the past, who does that include? Man, that's uncomfortable. That means it's us, too. In fact, it's interesting, uh, Paul writes a lot about this in Romans and um, in Ephesians, and, and John writes about it in Revelations, but there's, there's going to be a day of judgment. There's going to be a day of judgment, and we're going to have to stand before God, and we're going to have to give account. Um, Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he actually says that some of us will get to heaven, we'll get to heaven by grace, but all the things that we've done will be burned up and we'll come in with nothing because we did it with an impure heart. So always understand this, we come into heaven by grace through faith alone. There's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. But out of your love and gratitude for God, you then serve him. And if you serve him faithfully, he rewards you. And if you live your life in a way that is rebellious toward him and you don't confess your sins and you live the, your life in the wrong way, he still loves you. You get in, but it's going to be a painful experience. So we need to make sure that we confess our sins, that we tell God we're sorry for the things that we've done. If you've done something wrong in the past, you've done something wrong presently, you need to get that right with God. You need to tell him you're sorry uh, and need to work that out with him. And if you need help to work through that, come and talk to us. Um, I mean, you should come to us first as your family to help you before you go to the divorce attorney or go to the secular counselor or go to the bailiff. You know, let's, let's not wait until things get out of control because we all have problems and everybody in this room has been there. Every single person in this room has made some big mistakes in their lives. Every single person. And a lot of you think, nobody else knows, I'm the only one. And pity on you if you think, well, I'm not, I don't have any problems. Because <laughs> we all do. You know, we've all had our things. And so we deal with them when we get there. And we're honest. And we come to one another and we pray for each other and we help each other through it. And God helps us. And if we get our hearts right, then we don't have anything to worry about. Okay. Finally, eternity calls for a present focus. And he, he talks about animals. And I don't know if you realize this. This may come as a surprise, but in the most of history, up until the last, oh, I don't know, generation or so, human beings were generally considered to be superior to animals. Um, that may not be true anymore. Uh, we see that a lot of times animals are held up so high. Uh, but we are generally, the Bible would say that human beings are superior to animals. We walk upright. We think logically. Uh, we rule over the animals. 
Sometimes we're more vindictive and cruel than animals are. I'll accept that. But, but as a whole, we are able to interact with God, so we have this relationship with God. So there's this thing going on that is unique. But as soon as you start thinking, well, I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. I'm above those creatures. And all those things that we've listed and more, then Solomon comes back and says, but what does it matter? Because you're going to die just like they are. And you're made out of the same substance, and just like you came out of dust, you're going to go right back down to dust. So it's all over. So what difference does it make? Whether you're an animal or whether you're a human being. Because he says, essentially, you all die. And then he says something here that's intriguing and disturbing. He says that who knows where the spirit of an animal or a person goes when they die? Is he having trouble figuring that out? It sounds like it, but when you go to chapter 12, verse 7, he makes it clear that he really believes that he will be with God forever in heaven. Again, no, what he's saying here is he's saying from a human perspective, from what we can see, when somebody dies, they die. You don't see their spirit go to heaven. I mean, people have had experiences where God has let them see that, but I, I know people have told me that, but it's very, very rare. You don't generally see something like that happen. So how do you know where the spirits go? You don't know except that God tells you so. And that's what he's saying. We don't even know what happens. I mean, it, just, it seems pretty empty from what we look at. Without God, there's no hope. That's the whole point here. Everything's meaningless, but with God, there's meaning. And so he, he says that, and then he says, at the end, there's nothing better to do than to enjoy your work and the lot in life that you have, what God has given you to do. Um, and that's what we need to do. So, uh, but before we move on, there is, this is an important issue for some people. Um, the question has been asked, will there be animals in heaven? What do you think? Yes. Definitely, because Isaiah writes about it, Revelation writes about it. There, it, it. Almost every entry of heaven, there's a lot of, about heaven, and there are animals there. Very much more important question, will my pet be there? Will our, <laughs> will our Maggie be there? Maggie will, because I've shared Christ with her, and <laughs> she... She really seemed to get it, you know. She really seemed to get it. Um, but we don't know. Um, Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, says that we don't know, but we know this, that there will be animals in heaven, and we know that God is a gracious, loving, caring God. And we also know he can do whatever he wants to do. So why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? We don't know for sure, but why wouldn't he? And we'll leave it at that. But more important about than animals getting to heaven is us, making sure we know God and we're in a right relationship with him. And when we are, things can come together. Um, last question I have for you is, are you ready to die? I wanted to end on a good note because we've been a little negative. So I thought, <laughs> are you ready to die? Um, now, when you hear that, the first thought is, well, I've got all my money in order. You know, yeah, tomorrow. I have people come to me every once in a while. They say, can you do my memorial for me? When I, you know, I, and I say, sure, you know, uh, show me the date. You know, we'll see if it's available. Uh, yeah, you just, you don't know when it's going to happen. I had a friend the other day, this friend of mine, he, he retired, and, and we were talking about his retirement. He doesn't have any um, dependents. And I said, well, that's good. You know, you, you spend the money you have, but any money you have left over, don't give it to Uncle Sam. You know, make sure you give it to your cousins or to some charity. He goes, like your church, you're probably going to say. And I go, I was heading there, but um, <laughs> he cut me off, right? Uh, I wasn't actually going to say that. But, um, but the point is, I'm not talking about what you do with things physically. 
I'm talking about spiritually, your spiritual inventory. Are you ready to die? Have you, as we said earlier, have you set things right with God? Have you confessed your sins? And are you living your life for him according to the lot that he's given you? It's very important. And this is where satisfaction is found. I'll tell you what, there's few books in the Bible that talk more about grace than Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book of grace. Did you figure that out yet? They didn't use the word grace yet. It wasn't in vogue. But what he says here is that life is meaningless and helpless and futile and you have no chance unless God, by grace, by his grace, extends his hand and says, I'll give you an opportunity. And they didn't realize it yet, but that opportunity comes precisely through the Messiah who they're waiting for, Jesus Christ, pulls all those pieces together, all the loose ends come together in Jesus. And so, but, but the, the, the principle is still the same. What do we do? now that we know Jesus. We acknowledge the fact that everybody in this room has a, has a chapter written about their life that's in God's book of life. And each of you have been given specific gifts and abilities to use for God. And each of you have been given specific people to influence for God. And you're all different and don't ever compare yourself with the person sitting next to you because we all have different gifts. And there's no, it doesn't matter if you're a landscaper or if you're a doctor, you are equal in God's sight. And what is most important is are you the best landscaper you can be with the gifts and abilities that God has given you? Are you the best doctor you can be with the gifts and abilities God has given you? And do you love the people around you like you should? And are you faithful to God? And you just live their life just like that. And you enjoy it. Enjoy every meal. Enjoy every person. Stop and smell the roses. And love the people that God has put in your life. Tell them about Jesus. Spend time with God every day. Talk to him throughout the day. And let him do what he'll do in your life. And just be faithful. That's all he's asking. You don't have to change the world on your own. He's changing it. Come join him. We started off today uh, talking about climbing a mountain, looking over the top of that mountain at this beautiful heavenly valley. You know what it reminded me of? Carrie and I went um, to Canada on vacation. And man, some of the spectacular scenes that we saw. My first thought was, well, then we could go here, and then we could go here and here. And I was telling her, well, you know, we're going to come back on our 40th. We'll come here for our anniversary. And I said, you're getting a little ahead of things here. I, I tend to do that. But I was getting all excited because it's just so beautiful. I want to see it all. And then all of a sudden I realized in my lifetime I couldn't see it all. There's too much to see. So you know what you do? You enjoy one day, one moment one trail at a time. You're on an eternal trail. Just enjoy each day of that trail. Each day has something special and momentous. And enjoy it. Allow God to work through your life. Don't put all the pressure on you that society puts on you. Don't legalize yourselves out. Just use your gifts and abilities and enjoy the God who made you. Enjoy what he's doing in your life. And then watch and see what you'll do. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much.
uh, for these words by Solomon. It may have been a poet who was just using Solomon as an illustration, but clearly it's a book that uh, has always been accepted as, as a supernatural book, and we see it as that. Uh, the wisdom is just amazing. Uh, so, Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged and that we would walk closer to you, that if somebody doesn't know you, that they'd see that that's the only real hope in life is a relationship with you. And those of us that know you would stop trying to, to try to force things on our own, but would relax and enjoy your presence and enjoy each moment and each experience of life coming from your hand and knowing that for eternity you will be guiding us and you will set the record straight with all that's wrong um, and make things right for your, for, for your kingdom. And we praise you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.